On the Empire Podcast this week, Todd Phillips brings his war dogs by. Let's hope he brought a bag with him for the war poop. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast has just been to see the hottest musical on Broadway, Avenue Q. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, sponsored this week, very excited about this, by those high flyers at American Airlines, the world's largest airline. But they're not just sponsoring this podcast. No, 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 no. They've really taken off by becoming the headline sponsor of Empire Live, our incredibly exciting entertainment extravaganza, which is coming to the O2 London from September 23rd to the 25th. And with two flights a day from Heathrow to LAX on its flagship planes, American Airlines is the preferred airline of the entertainment industry with 260 movies. 240 TV shows available on demand, on board. That's enough content to fly around the world. I worked this out on a calculator uh-huh. or an abacus, more <laughs> accurately. 26 times. 26 times. So I might actually give that a go. It's probably the best chance I'll have of watching Game of Thrones. Yeah, you should get on that. I should get on that. So very excited to have American Airlines on board oh. with, with the uh, with the podcast. Uh, and incidentally, I'm just back from a thing in New York where I got to see Hamilton. Did you? Well, I got to see people lining up to see Hamilton. Um, it sounded great. But I did get to see, as I said, Avenue Q. Wow. 2004's hottest musical. <laughs> I was about to say. With uh, great songs like The Internet Is For Porn, uh, The Money Song, and Everyone's A Little Bit Racist. Very exciting. Uh, anyway, this week I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our geek queen. A lady famous for her love of Hamilton, which was playing across the street from my hotel. It features such songs, of course, as the internet is for Googling Hamilton references, the (laughs) how much money for a ticket song, and everyone's not a little bit racist. It's Helen (laughs) O'Hara. That is correct. All of those pop hits, breakout hits. Great songs. Mm. Great, great songs. Uh, Next up is our art house guru, whose favourite musical is, of course, the up and coming black and white subtitled one man version of Fitzcarraldo. Featuring such hits as The Internet is for Googling How to Drag a Ship Over a Mountain, The Money is a Construct of the Capitalist Masses song, <laughs> and Everyone's a Little Bit Batshit Insane. It's Phil Desemlian. Hello. How are you? Good. Exceptionally good, thank you. I should have gone for Kins- Kinsky Boots. Bollocks. Oh. This is what happens when you write the script on your way from the desk <laughs> to the pod booth anyway. Uh, and last but not least is our very own Northern Powerhouse, a man who has no time for musicals until it is they bring out Gates! The National Treasure musical featuring such golden hits as The Declaration of Independence is for Porn, The Secret Clue is Hidden on Money song, and Everyone's a Little Bit Cagist. It's Johnny Pyle. <laughs> Hello, mate. How are you? I'm good, man. You're right? Yeah, good. Thanks. Excellent. So, on with the podcast. Uh, it's time for this week's question, uh, which comes from Phil. Yes. Who's it come from? At Filmchild. At Filmchild. Yes. Good, good. Thank you for having it written down. Pleasure. <laughs> when I didn't. Committed this to memory. Yep. What are your favourite movie campfire scenes? That's amazing. Is, is that all it was? Or I seem to remember it being a bit more. Or okay. Did I just Question for my favourite podcast. Oh, is how it opens. that's nice. That implies he's listening, he or she is listening to other podcasts. Yes. We don't approve of. Uh, yes. At Empire Magazine, that's us. So, okay. right. And oh, what I is your favourite? That's it. There's no more I thought there was a lot more than that. Okay. All no, right. there is no uh, more question. Favourite campfire scenes? I can't think of too many. Who wants to chip in first? I have four. Well, can I say one then? Because I go have ahead. one. Okay. And you'll probably have my one in your four. That'll be yes. great. Yes, please. Okay. Uh, stand by me. Oh, I didn't. Well what? That's I good. I should have. That's a good one. Yeah. Elaborate. That's what one of them. What happens in that? I can't remember. 
Um, the Quick fat kid ones. drops his um, marshmallow into the fire and because he says that's how he likes them burnt and then it falls in the fire and then he fishes it out and it's okay and he eats it. <laughs> that's such a great is that when Is that when Gordy tells the story? It's when he tells the story, yeah. yeah. There's about the pie eating contest oh the pie eating contest I, I've only seen that film once whereas um, Jamie Graham of our terrifying foes is his favourite film of all time he's seen it I think a hundred times I have watched that like a lot a lot of times mm. it's a great film hi Jamie Graham hi Jamie Graham this is the similarities between this campfire scene and the one in Easy Rider except right. there's a lot more drugs in, <laughs> one, in one than the other <laughs> you don't know uh, what's in those marshmallows <laughs> Think of I, the Hangover too. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, that this has all the hallmarks of these kids growing up to be those characters because they're doing exactly the same stuff, just shooting, just talking absolute stone nonsense around the campfire. Jack Nicholson. No, yeah, well, no, yeah. yes, but I mean, you stand by me. They have this whole. No, obviously kind of like, not Jack Nicholson. Stand yeah. by me. I've, I've only seen it once. Yeah, but, uh, Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Does the timeline work? For when the Stand by Me set. It's probably a no, it's, no, it's not quite it's right. It's about the same time. No, no, the, I think Sam Raimi is earlier. Oh yeah, right. So it's not, it's not impossible, but they'd I like mean, if, they if, if it's aren't the, same, the same characters. But if it was the same characters, an Easy Rider is Stand by Me. Like they've done some hard, hard living, living in between, hard living. which they have. Mm. Although in fairness, Jack Nicholson's yeah. character is a lawyer, right? He's a civil rights lawyer, yeah, and a bit of an alky, obviously, as well. Sure. Um, and he. So you think Chris? You think he's Chris? You think he's River I don't Phoenix? Know. Me, I. You think River Phoenix? I feel like we're wading like into murky, murky we'll never know. territory. Oh. It's hard to say. It's a good oh. theory, though. It's a good theory. That's really dark, Johnny. But it is. They do have this kind of uh, this this riff about Goofy. Doesn't he say is Mickey's a mouse? Donald's a duck. Pluto's a dog. What's Goofy? Yeah, nobody knows what Goofy is. No, but that keeps they keep coming back, and then he's a dog. No, he's not a dog. Mm. No, he's just something else. Well, I can man. tell them that he is a dog. He is a dog. Officially is a dog, yeah. His original then, character name, I've looked this up, was Dip, Dippy Dog. But he does look like a dog. He's a dog, he doesn't... He yeah, but the problem like is dog. that he is a, a dog who walks and talks and Pluto is a dog who's a dog. Yeah, so why is Pluto a dog who's a dog but when Goofy's a dog who isn't? Ducks don't walk and talk either, and yet we, no, but we, accept, are, we accept that. Are there, but are there ducks... Are there actual ducks in yeah. the universe as well? That's the difference, isn't it? Well, like, there's a doggy dog, but also a non-doggy dog. So that's the point where, and where a Snoop it doggy makes dog. sense, obviously. <laughs> or he might be a lion. It's hard to tell. I'm really confused. I've got a supplementary question. Is Stand By Me the best film named after an Oasis song? It wasn't. I really like Live Forever, which is a documentary. I yeah. really like Supersonic, yeah, which Super is an Sonic's Oasis good, documentary. Yeah. And how does Stephen King know that Oasis would name a song Stand By Me? Yeah, you don't think maybe it was named after the Benny King song because I think it's the definitely what? the best song, best film named after a Ben E King song. The, the what? Ben, middle initial E, uh-huh. surname King. No, no. The song "Stand no, By Me." Helen. It plays over the credits. No, Helen. It's it's a clue. He's an Oasis fan. Okay, um, I have several. I'd okay. like to add. Um, That's interesting. You said four. You got four. Yeah. That's now changed to several. And yeah, before it's four. here, I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit. Before we started recording this podcast, you said you had two. So no, I I'm said going, I had three. And I remembered three. One. Now you change your story is changing. I'm sorry, as a as a ex barrister. That's a disgrace. You're allowed to bring in new evidence before you present it. Oh my you can't god! Change your plea. Objection. Overall, That's not a thing. Oh, okay. No, all of you are ridiculous. Okay. Uh, first of all, one <laughs> you're not going to particularly argue with or discuss because none of you feel very strongly about the film, I suspect. Pitch Perfect 2. They, oh! have their, they have a come to Jesus moment 
around the campfire oh. as Anna Kendrick described it and uh, that's when they rediscover their, their mojo and their love of singing together um, I, I have hugely strong feelings about that film do you? Yeah, what are they? because I love the first one and okay. did not love the second one well, anywhere near as much that. I'm sorry to hear that uh, second of all Hunt for the Wilder People it's not much Whoa, in the spoilers. way of a campfire scene but there is a campfire in it it's one of my favourite films so I'm just going to mention it here and leave it at that mm-hmm. um Mm. Now, two that you're actually going to chime with. Which one shall I go with first? Three Amigos. <gasps> Three Amigos, they sing around a campfire and it is delightful. Are you going to play it now and stop I actually the whole know podcast the song. tracks? Go on then. Uh, it's by Randy Newman, isn't it? It, it is, isn't it? Um, I'm trying to remember the first word, though. Is it California Moon? Basically, Was it, is it Moon Shadows? Uh, again? Yeah, it's blue shadows on the plane. Soft wind blowing through the trees above. I don't like this bit. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's experimental. We anyway, we make it's actually out. a really nice song. I like it's, that. Uh, Helen, what a lovely singing voice. Thank you very the much. Horse, yeah. The horse. That was Helen singing. The horse. horse. The horses. Yeah. And the, there's a tor- some sort of... I remember there's just some sort of tortoise behind yeah. Chevy Chase on the rock. That's right, yeah. Yeah, all the animals. And the owls getting yeah. into this It's very Disney. Stuff. Um, but the one you're all forgetting and the one you're all going to kick yourselves for forgetting is Blazing Saddles. Except, why well, it's on my list. Except we didn't forget it. I haven't got that yet. Well, I don't know. You hadn't just, said it. You spoke first. Doesn't mean it's we forgot it. I didn't speak first. I was God, like, you're fourth. the worst embarrassed, of a lawyer you. in the world. I was fourth. You should quit, you all you should quit it. as a barrister. You all forgot You it. should stop being a barrister right now. Well, I will. Okay, then. I've won the case. Court adjourned. Uh, yeah, Blazing Saddles. Why, Helen? Oh, wow, Chris. That's a great suggestion. Hashtag fart rump. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessarily the campfire you'd most want to be around, is it? <laughs> Actually. I think so. I think They've got awesome. food. Yeah. I mean, it's high in fibre. Think of the methane. Just think of the methane. That'd be amazing. Uh, that's a great scene. Very, very funny scene. Phil Cat. Yes. What have you got? I've also got... Um, well, we talked about Blazing Saddles. No. <laughs> We talked about Easy Rider, yes, but we, we did. didn't really talk about Easy Rider. Um, Jan Nicholson's character, the, the aforementioned lawyer, um, mm-hmm. falls in, obviously, with Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper. And, and they introduce him to Marijuana, I think is how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, he's all kind of like, no, I can't do this. I've already got a drinking problem. I can't really also have a, you know, I'll, I'll get into harder stuff immediately. And then eventually they persuade him to. And then within seconds, he's talking about alien conspiracies. It's like, I think he's got previous experience in mm. this area. Seems like He's straight into it. Um, that goes on for ages, and I'm not sure it's a particularly hot favourite of mine, looking back. Film seems to have dated quite a lot, to put it mildly. Right. I feel like we're missing a lot of Westerns, apart from Blazing Saddles. Yes. We, we undoubtedly are. Okay. Almost e- I'm all right with I that. I think every Western contractually has to have <laughs> a campfire scene um, of someone... Being, they sit around a campfire and they talk about the campfire. Yeah, and they they eat things from the campfire. Wow, this is blowing you know, it that, all that, wide that open. That great film. That great film. Um, oh, or how about when Sam is cooking? Um, oh no! In 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 Lord of the Rings, I oh, think it's Return okay. the King. I thought you were going to mention Supernatural. I wasn't. No, uh, Sam Gamgee uh, cooking around the uh, around the campfire. He gets a bit of rabbit and some taters. Isn't there a campfire scene in Attack of the Clones? I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's a campfire scene in Attack of the Clones. I think oh. that's why I gave a five. 
I think that's it. Yeah. What with with Anakin and yeah. Padme out in the I'm pretty sure they're in the, out in the meadow or yeah. something. They're in, they're in Tatooine and he's having a strop about something. And uh, isn't he killing all the sand people and there's, yeah. there's campfires there? He he that's ruins a, a lovely campfire. That's it. But they haven't they have nicked yeah. his mum. Yeah. He so he goes he goes apeshit on the uh, on the Tuscan Raiders. I mean, which is perfectly understandable. Yeah. Dicks. Yeah. They're absolute dicks. I can't help thinking there's one in Red River that's, that's that's quite an important plot point, but I can't give you any of the details. Oh, I can't remember. Well, City Slickers has an Im- that's an important one because that's when they start to bond over wow. um, harmonica. Maybe don't play it, do play it. They sing. Yeah, but all of those ones, like the ones that we mentioned, Three Amigos, Blazing Saddles, um, City Slickers, they're all kind of riffs on the Western campfire scene, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So yeah. logically, we should have more of those than we do of the riffs on, but. Yeah, we shows our age. We, <laughs> we haven't because they're probably because they're so ubiquitous. Yeah, because they're just part of the furniture of a western. Yeah, whereas they become the sort of comic centerpiece of a non-western you know, homage, non-western. Yeah. Yeah. I guess in the western also they always have the trackers. Mm-hmm. They're always kind of like trying to find the people, and they've always just left the fire. Yes. and it's still smouldering. Yes, it's mm. like hide it. Just yeah. Just, just throw cover some, it up. Just throw some rocks on it, dude. Like thing. Just oh no! If you put water on it, you see that makes more smoke. Uh, I've seen that in a few films. Have we? Yeah. If you pour water over the campfire to put it out, then there's like a big plume of smoke. So then the people tracking you definitely find you. So you need to kick earth over uh, it, like an Attack of the Clones. Yeah. <laughs> where they're tracking them. Um, there's a good campfire scene coming up in a few weeks, um, as well as Wilder People. There's also one in American Honey, which is very good. So look out for that. In September, October. Uh, I'm obviously going to mention a couple of horror films. Um, in fact, first of all, I'm going to mention the most horrific film of them all, Police Academy. Uh, <laughs> there is a big campfire scene in that, uh, in which it's a lot of um, female nudity. Which what when I, when in I, Police Academy? When I saw it as a child, was very interesting, and uh, it was like and Tackleberry in that scene. If you remember Tackleberry, all of the ladies are taking their tops off, and uh, Tackleberry has a, a he's a, a bit of gog. He's like, "What's happening here?" So that's a good scene. And then there's, uh, obviously, campfires lend themselves very well to horror films as well. You know, people sit around a campfire in real life and they say, they tell scary, spooky stories. Um, and then things creep up in them and stuff. So, yeah, very, very obviously, I'm going to mention the beginning of The Fog, uh, where Mr. Macon, I've mentioned this in the podcast before. I think it was even on beach scenes a couple of weeks ago. So there it is. Uh, but that one, where Mr. Macon, played by John Houseman, basically recounts the prequel story of The Fog and sets up the movie. Uh, and that was added quite late in production, I believe. And then I, yesterday I was rewatching The Burning, which is a really weird 1980, 1981 slasher movie. Came along post Halloween, post Friday the 13th, one of that kind of crop of, of cash ins, of rip offs. But it's a really weird film. It's got lots of markers, really interesting markers. It's got a score by Rick Wakeman. It was co written by Bob Weinstein. It's the first Miramax film. So it was produced by Harvey Weinstein. In fact, it came from his idea as well. It's uh, in amongst the cast is a young Jason Alexander with a full head of hair, and a young Holly Hunter, also weirdly with a full head of hair, which is madness. Yeah, madness. Um, and Thomas Feeney did the special effects and really, really gory special effects. There are two pivotal scenes around the campfire. One, where the hero of the film, who is directly responsible for the the burning of the title, which leads to the disfigurement of a guy called Cropsey, who becomes the the mad killer Mm. who tracks down the the teens at a summer camp. So he's the the Bryce Dallas Howard in Jurassic World of this whole thing. Well, yeah, but he recounts the story of how Cropsey became disfigured to the kids 
but as a scary campfire story Ew. neglecting to mention his parts <laughs> his involvement in it so basically yeah, me and my friends we accidentally burnt this guy alive uh, it was a bit of a prank anyway we covered it up <laughs> I became a camp counsellor and uh, ooh cops you might get ya forgets to mention that at any that's point so that's crazy. kind of that's kind of weird so there I've, you go the burning uh, something about campfires and beaches has just reminded me of the worst campfire scene in history which is in a terrible film called The Covenant which is kind of like the craft but for boys um, yeah boys yeah. boys suck anyway and they they have this just really ham-fisted um, exposition scene where they explain who these guys are and it's it's honestly got some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard um, it they, they call themselves like it's some, I can't remember the name of the time but it's something like the Sons of Eastwick and everyone refers to these four boys in this scene as the Sons of Eastwick like that is a thing that anyone in the modern age would say about anyone it's the worst thing I've ever heard um, so yeah that, that's what you want to avoid that's what you want to avoid I've got one more big fan of the straight story quite an un- unlinchy David Lynch movie mm-hmm. um, but it's got a lovely campfire scene Richard uh, Farnsworth's character as you may remember is driving across the Midwest on a lawnmower uh-huh. one of the early plot lines one of the early Fast and Furious movies that was discarded and he picks up a young girl who's basically run away from home and sits her down next to the campfire they have a they have a, a, a chat around the campfire that night and he demonstrates using sticks that he's tied together how your family is stronger than the individual person within it and in the morning he wakes up and she's gone but she's left him a bundle of sticks which sort of implies that she's <gasps> taken his That's nice. wisdom yeah. at, on board and gone back and made amends with her family which is kind of nice That's or lovely. she's just left some sticks behind or she's part of the Blair Witch Project <gasps> can I just say that I thought that your joke about the Fast and Furious was far better than the silence it received <laughs> it wasn't that it wasn't that it wasn't I thought it deserved a mild titter what was it I didn't hear it you what I he was talking it. directly and looking directly at you yeah but I've, I've, I've got he's, many he's got things to spin on his mind what, what, what was it what was it <laughs> I, said that the, I don't want to listen to the never podcast mind. Hear it. the guys don't need to hear this in the editing I'll tell you afterwards okay but thanks Johnny I really appreciate that so what we should do is email each other if we find things funny afterwards <laughs> All right, let's do that. Let's do uh, that. Anyway, uh, readers, so, if, if you thought that uh, Phil's uh, Fast and Furious joke was, was funny, which I'm sure it was, we'll do a poll. Then 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 write in, and also write in as, as well with all the campfire scenes we've missed, because I'm sure there are dozens, as as Phil and Helen mentioned, the classic westerns. A go go. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, and why the hell wouldn't you send them in via Twitter? We're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Uh, we're on Facebook as Empire Magazine, and you can email us, of course, at podcast at empireonline dot com. Right. We're going to have a quick trawl through the week's movie news because we don't have a lot of time left. Um, so, what's the haps? What's been the haps? You did you did an amusing tweet about Doug Lyman. I did, didn't I? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely yes, nailed it. I, I nailed tried it. to tell someone about it last night, but I got it completely wrong and it sounded really bad. Is it, okay. So, well, well, listen, maybe I got it completely right. I, I loved your remember. Fast and Furious joke. You weren't so. listening, but yes, thanks. I can't listen to everything, I, Phil. You can't listen to everything I say. What do you say? I can't remember. Okay. Um, it was a good one, though. Yeah. Why don't you paraphrase the tweet? I don't. I know we don't like you to retweet yourself verbally, but do it in this case, yeah. and then you can tell the story of what the story. Of the well, news of course, story now is. you can. You can retweet yourself. Yeah, but not verbally. No, not verbally. That's but weird. yeah, okay. But you know, it's, so, it's a nebulous thing, isn't it? Comedy. Uh, so Doug Lyman has signed up this week. He's left Gambit. Uh, the long gestating Channing Tatum man throws a pack of playing cards at people superhero movie um, over at Fox I wonder that you know that's been rumoured for a while to have script issues and he's not the first director to leave the project and so he has gone from that 
into another comic book movie, he has joined the DC Extended Universe, the DCEU, where he would write Justice League Dark, um, because which is a, a, a sort of spookier version of the Justice League, bringing together characters like John Constantine. Okay, so that's that's the setup, and now the joke. <clears throat> I'm not surprised that Doug Lyman has, is directing a comic book movie because superheroes have always been his destiny ever since he was bitten by a radioactive lime. Yes. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Is it too late to unretweet that? Can I? I can't <laughs> drop the mic. No, can, don't, don't drop gonna, the mic. It's very fragile. I'm going to place it gently on its side. No, don't. Well, but how are we going to get your voice? What? No, we they can't can hear, hear you. Perfectly. They really can't. You're they, very muffled. Well, they should, they should make an effort to listen. <laughs> you don't. Like you did to Phil. <laughs> I have learned a valuable lesson today. <laughs> I only listen to 3% of what Phil says, but I, the, the 3% I hear is That's great. Enough. I reckon the person, the perfect person <laughs> to come in and rescue the franchise, the DCEU now, is the man who made swingers. <laughs> you can bring some humour into the situation. I don't know. Yes. I'm not uh, really Edge, sure. Edge of Tomorrow was fantastic. Edge of he, Tomorrow. he started a, a pretty damn good franchise with Jason Bourne. Right. Bourne Identity. Bourne. I think he's underrated, Doug Lehman. I think... Lyman. Lyman. Lyman man. Lime, I'm saying Lyman because it means you can't do that joke anymore. Lyman. No, you um, can't change a band's surname just because of the joke. Can yeah, you? the joke was Maybe. probably bad. It enough. was pretty bad. Yeah, it, was pretty it was bad. a fucking great joke. Mm. Up yours. Okay. Unbelievable. He's... Do you know how many retweets I got? Seven. <laughs> okay. So if I'd been at a comedy club, that means seven people would have laughed and it got like 20 likes, something like that. So 20 people would have chuckled and maybe nudged their friends and gone, that's all right. Okay. I think it was better written down. Yeah, it probably agree. does. So, Justice League Dark. Yes. How dark is it going to be? How well, dark is dark? Yeah, as someone said, finally, some darkness brought to the DCEU. <laughs> uh, which is funnier than my tweet. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. Um, Doug Lyman is obviously someone who flits around from project to project. He's already made two films. He's got two films. Uh, there is a, a film he made for Amazon, which is coming out, I think, next year. And he made American Made with Tom Cruise, which was formerly known as Mina. And that's sitting and uh, waiting to be released as well. So he's very busy, very prolific. But he also, he's a, he's a flitter. You get the sense that he, he's got loads of projects in the go, including Phil, as you know, a remake of Escape to Victory, which is something he's got on the, on the back burner. So it'll be interesting to see whether he follows through with this and actually makes Justice League Dark, which began as a Guillermo del Toro project, one of mm. the 475, talking to people who flit around, yeah. 475 projects that uh, Guillermo was trying to make. Uh, so I don't know it's intriguing you know and um, what does it mean for Gambit what, uh, uh, yeah Gambit's interesting and uh, I was going to say that post X-Men Apocalypse which didn't really get a great reaction critically or indeed at the box office certainly compared to Deadpool and Days of Future, Future Past I kind of wondered whether there's, it's been a lot of silence from Fox on the old X-Men universe thing and uh, I wondered if they were having a major rethink and then today it was revealed that Josh Boone who's directing New Mutants has brought on his Fault in Her Stars writers to help him hone that script but I thought that script was nearly ready to go I thought that one was virtually yeah. the next on the production line uh, so you do wonder if there's a lot of recalibration and rethinking going on over there at Fox I mean maybe it'll maybe it'll free things up maybe maybe there's maybe less pressure to tie these things together now and just you know more thinking about how can we tell indiv- good individual stories so it, it could it could end up for the best you know mm. fingers crossed but yeah again it speaks to I think DC's because um, they have to compete with Marvel don't they they have you know they've, they've got to you know bring 
new things to the table. And going after, I think, A-list talent is clearly something that they're they're doing, uh, for the most part, anyway. And Doug Lyman is a is an A-list director. Yeah, I think, and uh, he's a really interesting director. I love Edge of Tomorrow. I think that film is fantastic. It's a good movie. Can we skip from the um, DC EU to the? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, RDCU, the Roald Dahl Cinematic Universe, and news that uh, Sam Mendes is potentially going to be making a live-action version of James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, I'm excited by a this. A film that was, of course, made by the great Henry Selleck in 96 yes. as a stop-motion animation will now be live-action, which presents more obvious questions about where on earth you source a peach that large. I mean, I think it'll be live-action <laughs> in the same way that The Jungle Book was live-action, oh. which is to say about... <laughs> 5% live action or maybe a little less. Oh, the term live action is, seems so fluid these well, days. Well, I mean, it is It is actually genuinely, I mean, it's a question we've sometimes talked about in the office, but the definition of an animated film, I mean, uh, is Avatar an, an animated film? Because most of it is animated. Gravity, about the only thing that isn't animated, is Sandra Bullock's face. And even that is sometimes Whoa. animated. I'm not uh, kidding. That's not nice. Whoa, what? No, no, you I'm not crushing criticism of Sandy Bullock. Why hey, I, no, I'm, what I'm oh saying, no, she's not animated in the sense that she is not oh, actually oh. An, a product reversing. of animation. Be, be, she is animated be, in the sense of having emotion. Oh, objection, your honour. George Clooney was completely animated in that okay, movie. George Clooney, <laughs> no, but George Clooney's face was uh, real and everything else is, and even the, he's got a plate in front of his face, that is also animated. It was not actually there. They were not wearing spacesuits. I'm Wake get- up, sheeple. I'm getting pretty uh, animated right now, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh my god. I'm not listen, I'm not slagging off gravity. It's a film that I'm on record as loving. You are slagging it off. I'm not slagging it off. I'm paying tribute Massive to the VFX. U-turn. I am paying tribute to the <laughs> VFX artists who worked on it. My, oh my point god. is Helen hates almost- gravity. Hashtag Helen hates gravity. <laughs> yes, that's right. I want to float away. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you hate being tethered to the ground, Helen? <laughs> if you would ever let me finish a sentence. What I'm nope. saying is uh it these the, the definition of what constitutes live action or animation is Increasingly suspect. Are you a communist? Yes. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, well, I know. In fairness, Helen's absolutely spot on and right. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably not going to be a giant peach because that's impossible. But it is going to be that that model. And I think the Jungle Book has raised the bar for yeah, that has, sort absolutely. of that sort of Disney style family adventure type thing. What I love about the Royal Doll sort of source material is mm. he seems so elastic to so many different sorts of directors mm. um, you know Spielberg obviously with BFG this year but you know Nick Rogue made made Witches which is I think one of the best yeah one of the best doll adaptations uh, Fantastic Mr Fox Wes Anderson I mean you know he's he's able oh. to take my lots own- of different styles mm. and his stories are very my only concern about um, the James and Giant Peach in particular as opposed to a lot of the others um if you do it live action and you want to make these things look realistic, you have to make a spider and a cricket and all of these bugs mm. look realistic, but also not horrific mm. when so- the size of a boy. Yes. That's going to be maybe a little bit of a challenge. You wouldn't want to be too much like Pan's Labyrinth, for instance. Yeah. That could, that or, could. or I'm just thinking of that scene in King Kong that made me scream and cover my eyes quite a lot with the oh, yeah. giant insect. Giant oh. insects are not inherently cute. So I'm inter- I'll be interested to see how they get around that design problem. I suppose you could tweak the magic to make them cuter. More, well, yeah. That's what they do. So like suddenly they stand on two legs. I'm sure they'll do that kind of thing, but but that isn't necessarily cute if you're then seeing the front of a the underside of a ladybird if she's standing up on two legs. Like the underside exposing is, herself. No, but it's an unpleasant thing to look at. I'm just thinking for you, they, maybe. All right, you know what? Fine. 
Um, my main concern is that so often on screen, people claim they're like eating a peach or holding a peach, and it's a nectarine. And if, oh, it's upsetting. I mean, if it's a giant nectarine floating across the sky, then you're not interested. I'm going to be utterly fuming for the 80 minutes of screen time that it I gets. I trust in Sam Mendes to get that, that detail right. <laughs> I, I would hope so. Can we check? Should we go into his yeah. office? Well, he's just on the road. So let's, just, let's just go and buzz the intercom at lunchtime. <laughs> Sam in! <laughs> no. We'd like to see his peach, please. <laughs> I beg your pardon? I've told you before. Go away! Day, <laughs> day 76, the shoot. <laughs> Shit, it's a plum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I would want to stress... That uh, he is yet to commit 100% to this, so don't uh-huh. go and buzz him yet. Uh, but Nick Hornby has got the script uh, together. Okay. Um, and uh, my from Skyfall to Groundfall pun is on ice, ready to go. So let's just. <laughs> I heard that just, one. Let, I heard yeah, that one. you see where I'm coming from there. That's is Groundfall good. even a thing? I just. Oh, have I made that up? That's, is that something that. Gra- yeah, yeah, sounds like something. Right? Anyway. Yeah. There's a different word, isn't there? What's the, what's the word? You know, apples that fall from the tree. Gravity. Gravity. I, don't, I hate gravity. Hashtag Helen hates gravity. Um, right, so let's talk about something that happened last week after the podcast went live, which is this whole nonsense about uh, that uh, that escalated when people got furious, racists got furious because uh, Zendaya is going to play Mary Jane Watson in Spider-Man mm-hmm. Homecoming. So it seems. So it seems. Anyway, it seems that way. Yeah, very much. Fairly 93% rumour. Yeah. Uh, and... Lots of people got up in arms about this, uh, revealing their true colours. And even though, Helen, everyone's a little bit racist, Yes, they're idiots. Yes, they are. Honestly, I mean, how could you get better casting than her for a character who's meant to be a sort of model slash actress? Um, you know, she's, she's a model, slash, a model actress. slash actress and she's good in her Disney show work. Is she? I believe. I, I haven't okay. seen much of it, yeah. I'll be honest, but what I've seen has been perfectly fine. Um, it's really interesting because I've seen people who who clearly, you know, consider themselves good people and everything, and they, but they have concerns that, and they say things like, well, as long as she has the talent, I guess that'll be okay. It's like, do you say that about a white actress? As long as she has the talent, that will be okay. Of course, I mean, mm. that's an obvious thing, isn't it? But you don't need to say it usually because you just assume, hey, she's got red hair, she must have the talent. It just, it doesn't follow so in, in case you don't know, in case you don't read the comics or didn't see any of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies, Mary Jane Watson is probably the great love of Peter Parker's life, along with yep. Gwen Stacy, squashed. Um, and, um, not squashed, but you know. Too soon. Uh, yeah, too soon, R.I.P. Gwen. Um, and, you know, she becomes his wife, blah, blah, blah. and she, in the comic books and in the movies, played by Kirsten Dunst, uh, she's white with red hair. And people were up, some people, not yeah. everyone obviously, were up in arms about the fact that she wouldn't be played by an African American woman. And so? So? I mean, th- I think it's so really Daya interesting. She also cast looks of, really good with red hair. She's had red hair in the past. Yeah. Yeah. She's but the cast of Homecoming mm. is refreshingly multicultural. And if they want to reflect what I imagine, having not gone to high school in New York in the mid-2010s. Um, Good. I imagine, <laughs> yes. And that's not why I was in New York that, uh, this week. Um, I imagine that it reflects the makeup of a, of a New York school yeah. in this day and age. Yes, cor- correct. You're so not going to find a majority white school, I guess, in Queens. Do you have strong feelings about this one, Johnny? Or do, do I have I- strong... Well, as a, am I one of those racists online who's been complaining about it? I guess that's a subtext of what I'm asking. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. That I'm was not, I'm that not, was not, I'm not me. Not. Uh, I'm not suggesting that. I'm sure we're on the same page here. But uh, I think 
that I don't remember us having these conversations. We've been doing this podcast for a while. I don't remember having these conversations a couple of years ago. It seems to come every week now, you know, whether it's Ghostbusters or this mm. or oh, God, Oceans, yeah. the Oceans movie. It's just like... What's Will happened? You just shut up. I know. People well, the fact us. that we're having those conversations means that Hollywood is doing something right. Yes. Yeah. That's a good point. Because the conversations we used to have about casting were about um, whether someone was just suited to the role and in terms of, you know, that isn't Jack Reacher or whoever. Um, mm. But now it's, you know, their conversations about you can't cast a woman. Well, y- yes, yes, you can. You can cast a woman in that role. Of course you can. So... The fact that Hollywood is trying to be more progressive, I think, can only be a good thing, and these conversations will happen, but, you know, we have to fight the good fight. Yeah, and by the way, uh, much much love this week to Leslie Jones, who suffered another horrific attack Awful. from the absolute mm. monsters who've been after her online for existing. Oh, amen to that. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think Johnny makes a really interesting point there. I, but I think Hollywood's sort of been through this, you know, Sidney Poitier broke down quite a lot of these, these barriers back, back in the day. You know, in films like The Defiant Ones... Yeah. Seem looking back, you're like, wow, that was really out yeah. there for that time. Probably still now, actually, which is a bit depressing. But maybe you're right. Maybe we're making they're making progress. Maybe that's what we're hearing. Uh, I just want to wrap up a couple of uh, news stories during the week. Um, Disney's making a Nutcracker movie. They've already apparently got uh, Kieran Knightley in their sights as the Sugar Plum Fairy with awesome. the American Ballet Company's Misty Copeland. Um, as the actual ballerina bits. Um, Mackenzie Foy would be playing the little girl Clara. Morgan Freeman is lined up for Drosselmeyer. And they're now talking Helen Mirren as Mother Ginger. So that's actually shaping up to be a very, very good cast. I, I mean, honestly, I didn't understand any words you said there <laughs> apart from Helen Mirren, Morgan Freeman, Keira Knightley. And okay, it's a, it's, a, it's a ballet. It's a very famous ballet. It's set at Christmas. Mm. Little girl gets a nutcracker. Her brother breaks it. Uh, she goes downstairs at night and, and the oh, nutcracker yeah, yeah, and all these other things come to life and she goes on a magical adventure. It's kind of the snowman but with toys gotcha it's one of these things if you get it right it becomes a perennial Christmas movie and you hear about it and you get money every year forever and if and you get, if it, wrong, get it wrong everyone dies uh, and it doesn't matter because the cast got money anyway so yeah. it's, it's fine uh, Captain Marvel they've got a director's shortlist now uh, Nikki Caro who's been rumoured for ages the director of Whale Rider is on it Leslie Linka Glasser who's uh, mostly a TV director but she's worked on the likes of The Walking Dead and Homeland so she's obviously got it where it counts and Lorraine Scafaria who directed Seeking a Friend for the End of the World speaking of Keira Knightley uh, are apparently the shortlist so we're probably looking at one of them to work with so they're clearly pursuing a female director to direct their first major female superhero oh really are they all women oh yeah I guess so Hmm. Uh, and finally just very quickly wrapping up um, there was a huge hit last year or a couple of years ago French film called Antouchable uh, Untouchables Ooh. thank you uh, and they are now inevitably remaking it in Hollywood it was about um, you send one of yours to the hospital you send one of his to the morgue that, no the other Untouchables no this was about uh, take it easy why do you think I sent the book home in the first place uh, okay, it's actually about a wealthy paraplegic, uh, or oh, quadriplegic, okay. I should say, who hires um, a young black man as his caretaker. Um, so, uh, caregiver, I guess, would be the best word. Anyway, Neil Berger's directing. The casting apparently now lined up is Brian Cranston as the wealthy um, man, and then Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. As his caregiver. That role was originally played by... Omar. That role was originally played by Omar Sy. So, um, yeah, he's definitely shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you go. Um, Yes. All right. Excellent. I will mark my calendar accordingly. (laughs) It's a good film, Chris. 
Yes. You like Brian Cranston? I love, I love Brian Cranston. He's okay. a charismatic man. He is. So, and also this week, some very sad news. I'm afraid so. Oh no! What's uh, happened? Uh, Michael Leader uh, has has sadly passed away. Um, you may not recognise his uh, name. Uh, but he played the milkman on EastEnders since 1985. But he will go down in cinematic history as the stormtrooper who uh, banged his head on the door uh, of the Death Star oh. in, um, in uh, Star Wars, the original Star Wars. In 1977, he passed away on uh, on Monday, which is very, very sad. That is very sad news indeed. But there is some good news on the horizon because uh, this week is New Empire Week. Woo. The new issue of Empire is now on sale. Uh, it is a cracking issue. Rogue One, Star Wars Rogue One is on the cover. We had incredible access to that movie. Uh, Gareth Edwards spilling the beans left, right and centre on that film to Dan Jolin. That heads up our incredible, incredible, or as the French say, incredible uh, <laughs> autumn winter preview. 21 huge films and TV shows coming your way in the next few months. All sorts of great things. What's Quickly, Helen, what's in there? Um, we've got American Gods in, That's there. in there. We've got American Pastoral. American That's in there. Honey. American Honey. That's uh, in there. They're all in there. Um, no, it's it's a great it's a great feature section. We've we got some really exciting people to talk about what they're doing next. Tom Ford is in there if you're feeling stylish. Uh-uh. Uh, talk about his next film, Nocturnal Animals. We've got Doctor Strange. We've got all sorts of goodies in there. Um, La La Land and Monster Calls. Gorgeous, gorgeous picture from that Assassin's Creed Passengers with Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them Jack Reacher uh, it's all going on it's all kicking off plus the director of The Greasy Strangler which is <laughs> a, a film that you have to see I mean I, I loved it I thought it was fantastic but my god it's fucked up beyond belief uh, do go and see it when it comes out we got the director if Jim Hoskin ready. Mm-hmm. if you like Grease and Stranglings then this movie is for you and just so happened anyway uh, Jim Hoskin uh, wrote a really funny piece for us about <laughs> about the movie which is one of the year's weirdest movies. Yes. I'm not saying it's the year's weirdest movie because Sausage Party and Swiss Army Man also came out this year and they're plenty weird too. Uh, it's a pretty we, weird feature. It's a very, it's a very weird yeah, feature. Yeah, he, he, he goes into detail about prosthetic penises and grease and, uh, yes. you know, but it is eye-opening and it really lifts the curtain. So, <laughs> so to speak. So to speak. Uh, plus, also in the feature section, very, very quickly, Oliver Stone, uh, we... Uh, Talked to a lot of people who worked with him over the years. Tim Burton talking about Miss Peregrine's home for peculiar children. That's a gorgeous feature. Sam Neill is the Empire interview. Can I just say this? This is my favourite feature in the magazine. I know I know one's not supposed to have favourites, but the Sam Neill piece. But they're not children. They're just features. Oh, in that case, yeah. I'll, um, Sam Neill is totally my favourite. First of all, it has a, an extremely dishy picture of him, yeah. and second of all, uh, he's extremely funny. Um, when when we're told that. You know, one in nine people in Aust- in New Zealand have seen Hunt for the Wilder People. He says, which begs the question, what's wrong with the other eight? So there you go, quite right. Uh, plus, we have a feature on uh, the Ron Howard and the Beatles, where Dorian Linsky got to meet the Beatles. At least you're not jealous, though, Chris. We couldn't send you. You were somewhere else that week. Jesus, Chris, there's actual smoke coming out of your ears. I'm not jealous. Well, to be fair, you only got to meet two of the Beatles. And the dead ones at that. Yeah. 
uh, in preview this month. There's uh, all sorts of great stuff. There's a Lego Batman preview, Westworld preview, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 preview, uh, first look at Free Fire, Ben Wheatley's new movie, which is very, very exciting. In the review section, the Russos and the writers of Captain America Civil War take us through that movie. Patrick Stewart talks about Green Rumors, a Star Trek, the animated series piece, and his piece on the commitments as well with Alan Parker. Thank you, Phil. Uh, it's very exciting. And in on-screen Johnny's section, it's all kicking off. There's all sorts of things being reviewed that are coming out your way. It's amazing. £4.50. Four pa- is it £4.50? Yeah. £4.50. It's £4.50. In all good and evil news agents. That's amazing. <clears throat> Ouch. Time now for a guest. Uh, he is a man that Empire Magazine once described as the funniest man in America. He is a director of such films as The Hangover, The Hangover Part 2, The Hangover Part 3, Old School and Road Trip. He is, of course... Todd Phillips, who breaks out into slightly more serious territory this week with War Dogs. A tale stars Jonah Hill and Miles Teller uh, about two illicit and slightly incompetent gun runners. Uh, Todd Phillips came into London recently. He spoke to our very own Dario Nugento, John Nugent. Enjoy the interview. Todd Phillips, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you, sir? Great. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for being with us. Um, we are obviously here to talk about War Dogs. When people see that this is a film directed by the guy who did The Hangover, they might expect a certain kind of movie. They might expect something along the lines of Ken Jong jumping naked out of a car, you know, and it's not really that sort of movie. Is right. It? No, it's not. It's I mean, not. What, was there a, a big sort of change in approach to your directing this time? Not really, you know, because ultimately the hangover movies and movies I've made even before that are about guys who make bad decisions right? and the bad decisions lead to mayhem and chaos. And this is sort of in the same vein. The big difference being that this is sort of a, a comedic drama as opposed to an outright comedy. But ultimately, ultimately it, it, it's, it's in the same world. It's not as big a step as, as you might think. I'm not saying it's the hangover. I don't want people to expect the hangover. But it exists in the same world, so to speak. And it feels to me like you can feel it's the same director. Yeah. I've, I've noticed there's a sort of mini trend at the moment of, sort of comedy directors moving towards more like serious material like Adam McKay. and Yeah, he did a great Jay job Roach. with that movie. Right, yeah. right. I mean, do you, do you share notes with these guys? Is this- I mean, I know them both pretty well and I love them both. Um, it wasn't so much a conscious decision. I mean, Adam had been working on The Big Short for a couple of years. We've been working on this since 2011. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like oh, let me see what everybody's doing. (laughs) And I think same for him. It's just really the material that, quote unquote, turns you on, you know. And uh, I read this story first in Rolling Stone magazine, and I had the reaction that most people would have, which is I can't believe this is that this shit happened, you know. And the more we looked into it and the more we unwound it and unpacked the story, the more it just kept feeling like a movie, you know. So how much is sort of closely skewed to real life? I know there's scenes like he impersonates military officers Jonah Hill's character yeah and and pretends to be like a grieving parent and stuff right that actually happened well you know it's not a documentary I'll yeah. tell you that much so we basically took an article that was five pages long and wrote a movie about it right. you know so you can imagine we made up a lot of things and one of the you know um, liberating things about making a movie where we're not making Lincoln. We're not making the Muhammad Ali story where everybody knows Muhammad Ali, what right. he looks like, what he sounds like. We're making a movie about two anonymous guys from Miami Beach. So we definitely took liberties with the characters. You know, Jonah, Jonah colored his character in ways that are very different than the real Ephraim, I'm sure. Um, but I think that as long as the gist of what the movie is, you know, the gist of the story comes across, which it does... I think, you know, that's what's important. Yeah. And these guys, I mean, these guys are 
obviously the guy, the characters they play are, are bad guys. I mean, they they're you know they're ambiguous. I, I mean, I don't think they're bad guys. Okay, yeah, I think they're great guys. <laughs> but they're. Um, I think they're just guys who look for an angle and look for a loophole, which a lot of young people and a lot of old people do all the time. Yeah. Um, I think ultimately, if you watch the movie through the correct lens, you realize the movie is actually an indictment of the government and the Pentagon's process of or ability to look the other way. Then it is really an indictment on these two guys. I mean, you know, yeah. one friend does cross the other friend and yeah. that's not so cool but I kind of think it's a, these two guys are awesome in the end <laughs> interesting interesting <laughs> I hope it's not too much of a spoiler to say Bradley Cooper is in this movie no, no, but and he's, yeah. he's brilliant in it yeah Bradley Bradley just I mean Bradley walks in and just kills everything always yeah. you know he's just so solid I really wanted to ask about his glasses because mm-hmm. I mean you have the world's most handsome man in your movie and you make him look quite unpleasant like he looks I like know. a serial killer I, well it's very funny you say that because I, I remember the night I found a picture and I emailed it to Bradley and the picture was of Jeffrey Dahmer okay. and I said uh, these are the glasses Henry yeah. Henry's his character that Henry needs to wear and Bradley emailed me right back and he's like I love it but uh, yeah I, we found those, I found those glasses literally on the internet looking at a picture of Jeffrey Dahmer because I had in my head the idea that he wears these really thick glasses yeah <laughs> Did you get a chance to speak to the real life uh, characters in the movie? Yeah, we we worked with the real life David Packhouse, who uh, Miles Teller plays in the movie. Mm-hmm. We didn't speak to the real life Ephraim when we were writing the movie. Ephraim was still in jail. In fact, when we were making the movie, he was still in jail, um, and he didn't want to partake in the movie. He's um, writing his own book and telling his own story. So you you don't know his reaction to? No, I don't think he's seen the movie yet. It's not okay. out yet in the states, so okay. I don't know that he's he he's probably hasn't seen it yet. But is David sort of broadly in support of it? Though? Oh, yeah, David loved it. Yeah. David saw it, loved it, felt it was pretty accurate okay. and all those things, yeah. Interesting. What about the um, the arms industry as a whole? Have you had any, did you speak to anyone in that world? Yeah, I mean, through research, we talked to a lot of people, people yeah. that are in that world. We went to a few arms conventions and, and, and met with some of those people. And again, you know, the, the, the thing you realize is that it's a business to most of these people and it's uh, they could right. be selling pianos if it was the, the government wanted pianos you know so it just felt very much like another business except one where there is a huge amount of money to both spend and be made this is um it's it's obviously a very international movie i mean you're all over the place was there any uh location that gave you a bit of trouble was like morocco no you know uh, we shot this movie in jordan morocco romania we shot in miami las vegas el centro yeah we were all over the world and for me, none of them gave us any trouble. They were all wonderful. And, and really the reason for that is I love chaos in movies, especially when the movies are supposed to be chaotic. And I feel like when you travel with a cast and crew, a lot of people, and you're flying to all these countries and everybody's jet lagged and doesn't know where the hell they are, it there's a chaos on set that always finds its way into the film. And I think it's really additive and um, kind of hard to act or pretend or portray, but it just always ends up in there. Right. You know? Were there any moments where it felt a bit out of hand? Like, did it, was there anything? I mean, on the streets of Morocco, I think we were shooting in Casablanca one day and it's hard to lock down a street in Morocco. They don't give a shit about orange cones, you know? (laughs) So, so it does always, you know, we had that on Hangover 2 with Bangkok. I mean, it was mayhem to film there. But again, I always feel like it's, just bring something to the to the picture that's that's great yeah 
And you go back to Las Vegas as well, which is obviously yeah. you know, the home of That's the hangover. Place, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Were you welcome back with open arms? I mean, you- Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I probably, I think I could get a key to the city of Vegas <laughs> if I wanted one. They are um, very warm to us and yeah. gracious and they treat us like, it's amazing, actually. Yeah. Did you revisit Caesar's Palace? And yeah, we forms? stayed there, me oh, and nice. Bradley. We shot there on this movie a yeah. little bit. Uh, yeah, we, we love that place. It's uh, my second home. <laughs> You're known to cameo in your movies. Um, I didn't spot you in this one. I'm, I'm very fond of the, the gangbang guy from right. old school. His name's Barry. Barry. And he shows up every so often in certain movies. He's yeah. in old school. He, I mean, he's in Road Trip. He's in old school. He's in Hangover 1 and Hangover 3. He's in Due Date. Yeah. But he's not in every movie. And right. he has a very particular set of rules <laughs> and what he will and won't do. Yeah. So it turns out he refuses to work with Jonah Hill. But. Oh, right. <laughs> Well, that's good to know. We hope to see him again sometime. <laughs> Thank you. I'll yeah. let him know. <laughs> um, I, I should ask about old school. Uh, for for a lot of people, that is that is a you know a classic comedy. Thank you. Um, and it's all, sort of the first time for a lot of people, at least over here, that we saw Will Ferrell in a in a big role. Yeah. What's your memory of of the the streaking scene, especially seeing him on stage with Snoop Dogg? I know my memory of it. I haven't thought about it in a long time, but my memory of it when you just started talking about it was how down for anything Will Ferrell was yeah. and continues to be. I mean, he is a magical actor because he's just up for anything for the laugh. And, you know, there's real vulnerability standing naked in front of 300 extras on stage with <laughs> Snoop Dogg that most actors would go, I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. But Will was just up for anything. And to me, that is the number one ingredient for a comic actor. It's just like, okay, let's try it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I just remember that about that movie. All those guys, they were just they were just down to fuck around and try right. and make something really funny. Did he did he wear a modesty pouch when he You know, it's funny, he did at first yeah. and it kept getting in the way and we just ended up losing it and he was just naked and he didn't give a shit. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. That's impressive commitment. Yeah. Yeah. He's the best. You went on to cast Snoop Dogg in Skusk and Hutch. That's right. <laughs> what the hell is it like to give directions to Snoop Dogg? Like- it was different on Old School than Starsky and Hutch and I, I remember saying to him, because on Old School it was more difficult and I was like, oh my God, this guy's going to be hard on Starsky and Hutch and, and he had said to me, you know, I want to play Huggy Bear in Starsky and Hutch and I go, I go, Snoop, I go, I don't know if I can do it because like, this was really hard these two days filming with you. And you know, on a movie, you're going to be in this movie for 15 days and Mm -hmm. you got to be there at 7am and you got to be there all day. And he very wisely said, no, no, no. He goes on old school. You hired Snoop Dogg to be in your movie. He goes in Starsky and Hutch, you're going to hire Calvin, the actor to play Huggy Bear. (laughs) He goes, that's a very different thing. And I trusted him and he was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's perfect for the role. Yeah, I mean, it's written for him. Yeah. It's crazy. Is he, as I imagine him to be, that there's smoke clouds coming from his trailer every morning? There really is, yeah. Yeah. He makes no uh, apologies about and doesn't try to hide the fact that he is, does get high all day every day <laughs> yeah um but he manages to you know he, he always remembered all his lines okay. and yeah i mean he's amazing okay i love him uh, also what is it like to uh give directions to someone like mike tyson <laughs> i mean wh- he does not strike me as a natural actor no he's not you know but uh and on hangover one in particular he wasn't but the more comfortable he got, the easier it got. But you're right. It was, uh, it was difficult at first. But now, I mean, I'm really close with him now, weirdly to say. And uh, 
I love the guy, and he's, I mean, to me, he made The Hangover. Yeah. To me, he's such a key part of The Hangover. Yeah. Um, we were so lucky to get him, but he, he yeah, it, it was intimidating at first to answer your question. You know, you're, 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 you know, you're giving direction to, uh, you know, the heavyweight champion of the world, one of the most feared people on planet Earth. And I remember in particular telling him one day, I've told this story before about, you know, he was, he had to punch Zach Galifianakis right. in the face right. and, and, uh, and, and he wasn't throwing the punch correctly for movies. You know, there's a particular way where the camera is. And in a weird way, he was almost too afraid to come close to Zach, but nice. he needed to come closer. So I was trying to show him how to throw a punch. <laughs> and he literally goes, oh, man, this is great. I'm getting I'm getting boxing lessons from the captain of the Jewish debating team. <laughs> <laughs> And everybody laughed at me, and yeah. I sulked off to my corner. No, but it was really funny. <laughs> and he was, it was totally one of those surreal moments in yeah. your life where you're going, wait a minute, I am trying to show Mike Tyson how right. to throw a punch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never thrown a punch in my life, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. We heard news the other day that you're making a TV show about ISIS with, uh, with Bradley Cooper. Is right. there anything you can tell well, us about? Well, that's a really, that uh, that was a poorly timed announcement, quite frankly. Um, we, I, Bradley and I have a little production company together. We made the War Dogs through it. And mm-hmm. uh, we had optioned a book that won the Pulitzer Prize for nonfiction recently called Black Flags. And it's something that we set up at HBO. It's not for me to direct. It's just a project we're producing together. Okay. But we have no real movement on it no announcement early 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 stages okay so what what is next for you then as a director do you have any any plans you know i don't know yet i haven't figured it out i have a couple things in mind but i'm not sure i got to get through this sort of anxious stage of putting a movie out which is always really terrifying and hard and uh and then i'll sort of see Okay. And do you think you're going to stay in the in the sort of comedy drama vein or are you going to move? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, I love making comedies, meaning um, it's not like I'm trying to get away from the comedies that I've done in the past. I love making comedies, particularly I love working with the actors that, that do comedies. Yeah. So I could see doing a straight up comedy again. Okay. Thanks, Great. Man. Well, I hope we see Barry again. All right. You yeah. might just do the Barry and Chow movie. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be perfect. Hey, Todd, thank you so much thank for Thank you. Cheers. Take care. Okay, so first up, in the review section, we just spoke to Todd Phillips. That's here about his movie, War Dogs. Jonathan. Hello, Chris. Yeah, War Dogs, it stars uh, Jonah Hill, and it also has Miles Teller in it. And uh, Jonah Hill is a a man who sees a gap in the market in about um, the mid-noughties. He sees a gap for uh, buying... Um, or supplying the U.S. Army with uh, military equipment. And, you know, he's taking tiny, 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 tiny pieces, which the big companies don't want to take. But those pieces, because of the U.S. military, even the tiny pieces are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's uh, what he, he does. He ropes in Miles Teller, who's his friend from school, mm-hmm. and they set up a partnership and start supplying uh, guns and start supplying ammunition and... They make a lot of money, and it goes very well, and then, of course, it goes less well, and things all start to fall down uh, around them. Because they cut corners, and they're dealing with dodgy people. I mean, and- really, in many... Yeah, exactly. In many ways, it's um, it's Jonah Hill's fault. <laughs> <laughs> He's the bad guy, and... Um, well, I mean... <laughs> it's more it, serious, though, isn't it? It's, it's not a comedy, per it's se. It's not a comedy. It's not a drama. It's both... I don't know if that's ever been done before, but uh, yeah, it mixes uh, like jokes and serious stuff. And you know, I saw it um, quite a long time ago, but it's you know it stuck with me. I keep on yeah. uh, thinking back to things. It's uh, it's got a really uh, fun guest role for Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. as a 
seriously uh, evil uh, arms dealer dude. There's a great scene in it, uh, or a great um, se- uh, sequence in it, where they do a um, a gun run uh, into uh, a very heavily militarised zone, have to get through it, and people are trying to kill them, and they have to deliver these guns. And it's uh, actually a, a lot of fun. Mm. Um, John Nugent uh, reviewed it. He said in the review that it uh, aims for Scorsese levels and mm. falls uh, somewhat short, but it's a high bar to hit. Mm. And, you know, he doesn't quite make it, but he doesn't come that far off. We gave it three, three in the stars. magazine, but that's uh, a recommendation. It is indeed, because he's got a nice, there's a weirdly misanthropic streak that goes through all Todd Phillips' movies, he, you know, and this one similarly. So I feel like it's rather been marketed as a comedy. Yes. But it's not a comedy. I mean,. Not just. It's not just a comedy, and, and uh, so I suppose. It's, I mean, it's certainly not a comedy in the way that The Hangover is. It's a comedy in the way The Hangover Three is. What a drama! <laughs> yeah, that was really weird. You know, if we had more time, we could talk about how The Hangover Three just went off the rails and became a weird thriller. Um, but three stars then for War Dogs. Uh, that is, of course, as we say on the podcast, a recommendation. Next up is Bad Moms. Yes, apologies. I haven't written the review for this yet, but I will. Uh, so this is uh, <laughs> Mila Kunis as a suburban mother of two. Um, she does say that she got pregnant early, which is why she looks like Mila Kunis. Anyway, uh, she is obsessed with being sort of the perfect mother. She's, you know, looking after her kids. She's got a job. She's got a husband. She's always running late, trying to do everything. And then, you know, the one last straw from people PTA president uh, Christina Applegate basically breaks her back and she just swears off all of it. She's like, I don't care anymore. I'm going drinking with Catherine Han and Kristen Bell and you can't stop me. Um, and uh, so it's kind of, there's again, it's a there's a bit of drama under the comedy here in that this deals with some really genuine, true problems with being a mother in the modern age and being a woman in the modern age where you're trying to do absolutely everything at all times perfectly and you're judged if you don't but at the same time it's a big glossy silly Hollywood comedy that makes very little sense when you think about it Um, and it does have you know extremely rich well off people um, who end up spoiler happier than they went into it so you know it's 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 kind of limited in how much truth it it can really serve up but at the same time it is pretty funny Catherine Han's always quite fun Mila Kunis is actually very good once you get over the fact that you know she's not entirely maybe the perfect casting for the role um it's uh yeah it's probably a three there's some funny stuff in there okay so you you haven't officially decided yet it could be anything I haven't written the review is the problem I mean the magazine's in newsagents now Helen well, I didn't see it. They didn't screen it, in There's fairness. There's a big we space only... in the magazine yeah. where this review should be, You're... this big white space. I was just going to say, this film doesn't seem to have been marketed at all. Not, Not particularly obsessed over here. with marketing. Which I know. Is, but that's right? weird because it's made actually nearly $100 million in the US. So it's, it's been actually a big success. Um, but yeah, the, the, the distributor here hasn't done a lot with it and certainly didn't screen it for critics. So we only just <sighs> saw it. So we'll get on that. You'd, that's It's weird if it's quite good. You'd think no. that though, wouldn't you think? You'd assume, I mean, I saw a post for it last weekend. It's the first time I'd even heard of it. You'd, you'd yeah. assume that that means it's bad, but it's not. It's not and terrible. There's presumably quite a big audience for this sort of film. Yeah, there will be. Yeah. Potentially then three stars for Bad Moms. A comedy that might be better is Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping, Phil Cat. Yes. Tremendous. Great. Four uh, stars. Also out this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Lonely Island. I guess it helps if you like these guys. Uh, two of whose names I can pronounce. The third I might get wrong, but I'm going to have a crack. Andy Sandberg. Andy Sandberg. Yeah, okay, yeah. fine. I got that one. Andy Sandberg, Akira Schaefer. And Akiva Schaefer. Akiva Schaefer. No, shoot. My pretensions are way down. And Jorma Tacconi. 
It'll do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I like looking at them and laughing at them. I don't know how to say their names, apart from Andy Sandberg. And uh, he plays <laughs> a kind of a Justin Bieber type character uh, called Connor Farreel, who has come out of a, uh, a, bo- a boy band, the Star Boys, um, who have an early Beastie Boys vibe to them with, with the two other Lonely Islanders. And he's gone on and he's broken out. Um, and like Justin Timberlake, mm-hmm. when he left... And sync, yeah. Whatever happens to the solo artist, right? Flounders, and that's the problem that he has. He basically finds that his first album, which is called Conquest, double C, double N, um, doesn't do very well. Gets a poo emoji from Rolling Stone magazine. It's his second solo album, isn't it? Second solo album. First solo album's done fine. Well pointed out. Well spotted, Johnny. And then he goes on a world tour again, right? And it is exactly. And it is. uh, It is a lot of big gigs. A lot of things going wrong for him slowly a lot of great cameos really just packed full of jokes mm. um a penis i don't know if prosthetic or otherwise makes an incredible cameo but there's also cameos from belonging to a famous director is that right mm-hmm. indeed i, I wonder which director who was famous was yeah. close to this film Terrence a director Malik. who has been on this podcast but thankfully not in this chair oh well, that's is this is well maybe tune back next week for more information on penis mm. gate um great cameos and uh, it's it's just it's just genuinely silly and mm. funny for the majority of its runtime. I think like a lot of these kind of spoofy, you know, spinal the spinal tap kind of vibe hangs over it. It's not quite on that level. Um, the plot gets a bit plotty towards the <laughs> beginning. I hate when plots get plotty. It gets so plotty towards the beginning of the final act, but it but the it nails the ending, um, and it's got a great bit where Seal gets attacked by wolves. <laughs> um, so if that's the kind of thing you're looking for this weekend, I can so heartily recommend it. So if you love Hot Rod, I, if you love Lonely Island, this is this way, for you. I saw it on Tuesday, and I'm going to go and see it again in the cinema this weekend. Whoa. Yeah, Whoa. which I don't normally do. Does it have subtitles? Uh, yes. Okay, well, there you go. He's going um, to the closed caption screening. Four stars. Four stars yeah. and for pop star Never Stop, Never Stopping, which may be the best title of the year as well. Next up is Julieta. We had Pedro Amadovar on the podcast last week. Phil, tell us about this. Pedro Amadovar is back, and that's always cause for you know a certain degree of, uh, of celebration. I think this is his 20th feature film wow. um, across like three decades. Uh, and he's come a long way. This is, you know, his last film was a slightly sort of ill-executed return to the sort of frothier camper side of his game um but that? i'm so excited exactly yeah. and this one is a much more sort of serious-minded film about about motherhood really i guess it's the other film this week about about mumhood but a, but a lot more kind of serious in its in its <laughs> approach um based on alice Munro's runaway three short stories from from an anthology of short stories there um and it kind of cleverly takes threads from those stories and weaves them together into uh two two discrete timelines so you have two actors playing the same character Emma Suarez and Adriana Ugarte I think is how it's pronounced um, across two different timelines and, and the plot set up sees the the, the younger Julieta um, on, embarking on a fateful train journey which has sort of slightly Hitchcockian overtones which reminded me a bit of The Skin I Live In um, his sort of psycho thriller from a few years back and he she basically falls in love with a fisherman and s- a tragedy unfolds they have a child together but there's a tragedy and, and, and her daughter Julieta's daughter disappears and so the film across these sort of contemporary and flashback shows her of, of trying to deal with this pain this kind of unspoken pain uh, it's a sort of, it's a movie about kind of an introspective grieving for wow. someone that's missing but hasn't 
isn't dead. Um, and it's moving, it's very heartfelt, and I think Amadova is a very, very good chronicler of human emotion. He's a very empathetic filmmaker. He's very, he's a good listener, if that mm. makes sense. And um, this is a film that we liked. We've given four stars to. It's probably not a great double bill with Popstar, I would say. <laughs> but if you like his style and, and, and the way that it's evolved down the years, um, this is a, a kind of a return to um, All About My Mother, that kind of era of his of his filmmaking. Awesome. I haven't seen this yet and I'm dying to because I love a bit of Al- Almodovar. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I will He's not. very kind of, of all the films throughout this week, this is one of the most distinctive in its style, mm. I think. Um, he's got a very distinctive way and even though he's made films Time Me Up, Time Me Down, um, Women on the Verge, those kind of films that are incredibly like frothy and flighty, um, you can always tell in our our film whether he's serious or he's yeah. having fun. This is more in the serious end of things. And Rossi De Palma's back in this one which is kind of cool she's one of his kind of muses yeah she is and she plays this kind of Mrs Danvers like character you know Mrs Danvers from Rebecca the kind of the evil sort of sinister janitor (laughs) caretaker type thing and and she's clearly having fun and uh, it's nice to see she's a distinctive looking um, presence in his films yeah so it's kind of nice to have that that kind of DNA there as well so, yeah, fans of Armada, I think, will be really, really happy with this one. So four stars then for Julieta, uh, which is fantastic. Also out this week is The Purge Election Year, which stars Frank Grillo. It's a sequel to The Purge, and The Purge Anarchy films I really like, uh, weirdly, despite everything. And uh, this stars Frank Grillo, and he's trying to stop uh, assassination of a presidential candidate on mm. Purge Night. Ah! Uh, three stars for that one. Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast, sponsored by American Airlines. Uh, join us next week for more formulated fun. We'll be joined by... TBC mystery guest. <gasps> yeah, yeah, mystery guest is better than TBC. <laughs> yes, we don't know yet. Well, we do. We well, do kind of know. But we haven't got confirmation. Do we know? Yet, so. We're in talks with Blimey O'Reilly's people. Yes, <laughs> he's back again. He's back. Uh, Helen will be here. Yes, probably. <laughs> you, know, you know, further expounding on your do. hatred of gravity. Um, but I un- like gravity. Why do you hate yeah. Sandra Bullock. Until then, you hate Sandra Bullock. Until a glorious day. It's goodbye from Johnny. Goodbye, mate. It's goodbye from Phil Cat. Arrivederci. Mm. It's goodbye from Helen. Adios. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to get tickets for the hottest musical of 2005. <laughs> Spam a lot. I want to push the gram a lot. <laughs> Until then, see you next week. Bye. Bye.